Father, we are so awed by your presence in this new location, um, and we give you honor, we give you praise, and, and we would like to recognize that you are part of this move, and not only relocation of physical locality of church, but Father, there will be a new beginning for many of us, and we could uh, really just ask the right question, Lord, now what? Where do we go from here? So Holy Spirit, would you be with us and, and speak to us? Um, for some of us really came here desperate, seeking, asking question. So Holy Spirit, answer them. And so, Father, we open our hearts, our mind, our, our self to you, that we're ready vessel, Lord, ready to receive. So speak, pour out your Spirit upon us. There will be impartation of your Spirit, O oh God, today. We welcome you, Lord. We give you glory and thanks in advance, Lord. In Jesus' name we prayed. Amen. I woke up this morning and I got really excited because I knew I'll be meeting Pastor Ken. Uh, he's my favorite Pastor Ken. <laughs> uh, and uh, only Pastor Ken I know. But um, I got really excited because I've been uh, praying for this meeting for quite some time. Matter of fact, I have a little document to prove that from August 9th, uh, 2019, I started interceding for Togam Sagyue EM and had two Sundays. And I was, you know, for almost two and a half months now working on a message based out of Philemon. Um, because I'm writing a commentary on Philemon's this year. And I thought, wow, it'll be a great message on the message on forgiveness. But this morning I woke up and I, we, we happened to go to bed quite late. I couldn't fall asleep, so I just started listening to the scripture, you know, and I fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love iPhone. You could listen to the scripture and fall asleep. Um, and this morning, I woke up and then I just start where I fell up asleep and then the first word was Bathsheba. And I thought, wow, what a first word to start Sunday morning with, Bathsheba. Because mm, it, it's not really a pleasant story. It's not a story that people get edified. People get excited. Oh, I would like to read that story again. <laughs> Such a wonderful story about a woman who gets raped and her husband killed by king and he's our spiritual hero. What a contradiction, what paradox. And so this morning I woke up and I said, whoa, Bathsheba, what about Bathsheba, Lord? And got into my shower, did my thing, and it's in the morning, early. So I got to my table, and, and there are several books on my desk. Uh, and I don't, I don't know about you, but I just cannot read one book at a time. You know what I mean? Are you like intellectual ADD? <laughs> I am one. I, I don't read one book. I cannot read one book. It gets so boring, you know. 
So I usually read about, go through about five, six books at the same time, simultaneously, skip from one book, you know. And so that was me. So this thought of Bathsheba, <laughs> I sat there, and then I look at my note, and I said, maybe not this one today. <laughs> so I asked the Lord, Lord, what about Bathsheba? And then I start reading this book. This is a book uh, called Ikiru. <laughs> Ikiru means in Japanese, to live. Uh, as we say, uh, say up in the monitor, to live. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about scripture to live. But Ikiru is talking about what is life? What is life? Um, how many of you watch Seven Samurai? Very old classic. Oh yeah, just like one of you. <laughs> you all need to repent <laughs> and go watch that movie. Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. When I first met him at age 18, I changed my life. Um, and I've been pursuing him, watch every movies that he made. And actually, I've been working on to write a book on him. And I collect data now for almost 15 years. Uh, so everything that is written about Akira Kurosawa in English and Korean, I'm gathering and learning. And, and he's a f legendary uh, uh, director from Japan, the Steven Spielberg's mentor. Steven Spielberg actually said, public, said that he's the modern era Shakespeare for us. Great, great uh, uh, movie maker. And Ikiru is a movie about a man who is found out that he only has six months to live. And he's approaching the whole movie, talking about what does it mean to live. And there's a famous line in the first scene of the movie when a, a nurse who was taking care of this old man was going to die in six months. And the doctor, the elder doctor, says to the nurse, well, six months at the most. What would you do? Addressing to the young nurse. What would you do if you only had half year to live, Miss Ahira? What would you do? Nurse looks around and, and she points and said, well... There's some poison there on the shelf. So this young nurse says, if I only have six months to live, I'm going to just kill myself. What's the point of living? Wow, really? So Akira Kurosawa, to live, is a cinematic expression of modern existential thought. As a student of existentialism all my life, and I thought, wow, that's why I was so impacted by his movie when I was 18. Because you see, I encountered Jesus when I was 18, August 3rd, 9.30 p.m. I went to church. I was a good church boy. I was a junior high department president. I was a high school department president at my church. And I had 60 people worship team that I was head of. And I thought I was a great Christian. I'm heaven bound because Look, look at me. I'm memorizing scripture day. It's awesome Pharisee in making. <laughs> and then I met Jesus. Changed my world. And I realized you don't go to heaven because you know about Jesus. 
but heaven becomes you because you have relationship with Christ. Can someone say amen to that? At age 18, and with that revelation, I was up at Berkeley, freshman, 25,000 student body going back and forth and sitting at Dwinnell Hall looking at a tree. And then I yell at myself, my God, I exist. <laughs> it's kind of random and crazy. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I discovered myself as I, without context of others. I found myself to become an individual that does not need others to exist. And that was a profound moment philosophically. And ever since then, I've been pursuing the existentialistic understanding of the world. And so when I saw this movie, Ikiru, it just dawned on me, wow, Akira Kurosawa really understand. And he's trying to express what it means. See, the man was found that you only have six months to live. And obviously, the man goes through this fear stage where he's like fearing death of unknown. But then pretty soon he realized, well, six months is too short to just fear, in, live in fear. So then he focused his attention to his family, saying that maybe I need to spend all my life, last rest of my life with family, and realize even they do not exist when he dies. The, 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 the brutal reality of individual self, you, need, you are alone in this universe. Then he's switching that maybe then I just need to, because he, a, a, a model citizen, never did anything wrong, said maybe I'll give myself to pleasure with all the money I have acquired. And so he lives a, a life given to pleasure, but that is not satisfying at the end. And then he finally falls in love with somebody, young lady, and then he learned to unconditionally love her give himself to her. Now it's not a Christian movie and don't say so. So what happened? Does he become Christian? Don't be stupid. That's not the goal of the movie. <laughs> but, but you know what he found out? He realized that I exist. I'm here to live each moment, each day. You know, when my daughter who went to USC film school said, Dad, I found the full manuscript of Ikiru as a gift. <laughs> my God, she was my favorite first child. But man, after that, she got extra points. <laughs> I said, girl, I got to read this because this is a movie that really changed my life. And now I get to actually read the entire manuscript. And the last line, Mr. Watanabe, before he dies, wow, the beautiful scene. I got to read this to you. Imagine yourself watching this movie. There's a policeman talking about the, finding this Watanabe on a swing. He says, but he looks so, well, well, so happy. How can I say it? Uh, and he was singing. And he was a voice that, well, moved me. Boom. And then there's a cut. And then you move to the next scene. Cut to the park. In the distance behind children's maze, a Watanabe sitting in a swing. Snow start to fall. He's singing. The camera pass along the mat and zooms in. And Watanabe sings. As the last words in the movie, he says, Life is so short. Fall in love, dear maiden. Fall in love. While your lips are still red. Before you can no longer love. For there will be no more tomorrow. And movie ends. Wow! At age 18, 
blew me out of the water. Love, for there is no tomorrow. Love. Well, Watanabe discovered himself through doing like Dostoevsky and like Sartre, like Camus, Camus, that what it means to be in pain so that so exquisite that it drives him to action, to conceive plan, which will save him. Perhaps without even grasping the truth that he's acting out, he behaves as though he believes that his action alone which matters, that man is not his thoughts, nor his intentions, but simply what he does in his, in his own existence. That's my addition. You know, we talk about theology as a thought concept, and it's so cerebral, so cognitive, and, and we talk about faith as something that you understand, which is oxymoron in my understanding. Faith is not something you understand. Some faith is something you do. And yet we struggle with that. We said, Lord, I want to be a good Christian, but in what way? Well, I would like to go seminary and learn my theology and I fully want to understand what I believe so that I could be a good Christian. Who told you that is required? See, I was 25 years old wide-eyed, just out of Berkeley philosophy major, and I got so excited because I'm going to Fuller. I'm, I said, I, I'm going to Fuller. Why? Because I want to go talk to Colin Brown. He's the guy who wrote a book called Faith and Philosophy. And that book really impressed me, and I thought, well, surely Colin Brown could teach me something more about faith than I already know. The embodiment of Christ, the Jesus I encountered, I gave my life to. I made a vow that I'll say a thousand yeses in advance, Lord, that whatever you tell me, I'm going to obey. Right? And then I thought going to Fuller would teach me something. Wow. Crazy stuff. Today, the message concept is men in black. That's why I dressed up in black. <laughs> men in black, part three. The Christian version. I'm going to lead you to a world where maybe some of you didn't know exist. Semi-spiritual, semi-intellectual, quasi-unreal world where it's like men in black that kind of coexist, but you never actually saw. You see, I went to Fuller 86 and went to systematic theology class, and Colin Brown comes forward and said, well, students, I'm going to teach you on... Systematic theology where it's like a tree. The root have all this stuff that then we want to unify in rational way how your concept of creation, concept of salvation, concept of Christology, concept of salvation, it all kind of rationally line up. The first 30 minutes, I got so disappointed. I got so disillusioned. I, I, I raised my hand. I said, sir, <laughs> Dr. Brown, I said, is there a question? I said, sir, I disagree with you. How can fate line up rationally? Sir, I love my wife. And my love for my wife is so irrational, so spontaneous, so crazy. I cannot explain. I don't even know why I love her. With some of the stuff that she says about me. She's so mean sometimes. She always tell the truth. 
Why can't she just lie a little bit and tell me I'm okay? <laughs> but, sir, are you telling me that my love for my God has to be rational, systematic, and has all lined up? I disagree with you. I, I'm not here to learn theology based on rationalism. I do, I'm not a rationalist. I'm a irrationalist. I believe because it's unbelievable. If you believe because it's believable, then it's agreement, not faith. Sir, can I write a fragmented theology here? And he said, what is fragmented theology? Well, it's sort of like ADD of the theology, <laughs> scattered. It doesn't make sense, but it's truth to me. Oh, wow, Colin Brown, he said, go ahead. Well, I didn't go to class because I did not want him to influence me. I never went to his class, 20 weeks. And I wrote my own fragmented theology on the topic that he was going to teach. Soteriotology, you know, end time. You know, just did my own thing. Turned my paper. He loved it. He gave me an A. And he said, you take my next class. So I did. I did two systematics with him, and I got both A's, and I never went to his class. <laughs> and then I took his Colin Brown class on Soren Kierkegaard, existentialism. I remember the first lecture, there was not by this time, it was third year, and, and uh, there was only a handful, like 10 people, and, and I studied philosophy at Berkeley, and, and I thought I was quite well-versed, especially in existentialism, but when he started talking about Soren Kierkegaard, which I never took at Berkeley, I took up to Nietzsche, but not Soren. And I remember end of the lecture, I sat there, and everybody left, and I wept. I wept, and I wept. And I said, finally, in my struggle through my philosophical understanding of my faith, I found someone who could maybe explain my struggle with my faith. Maybe that I need to read Soren Kierkegaard. And so I got out and went to the bookstore and I bought all the books that Soren Kierkegaard ever wrote in his entire life. Full collection of Soren Kierkegaard. I brought it home and I said, Jenny, that's my wife, now I am followers of Jesus and followers of Soren Kierkegaard. <laughs> it was 1986. I've been following and pursuing, and, and he says it so beautifully. You know, I, well, he says something about uh, me being a poet, and, and, and I guess I am, because I've been, uh, uh, my poetry was elected as one of the top poems, uh, and always oh, in Korean. It's so amazing how I lived here 46 years in America, I could only write functional books in English, but poetry in Korean. Is that wild? It's kind of crazy, right? I wrote 18 books in my life, and five books are poetry books that I only wrote in Korean. And at Berkeley, I study minor English, poetry, playwright, and things like that, so I love it, but it just, it just doesn't speak my heart. Well, but on Soren Kierkegaard, I wrote a poem well, actually, it's four pages long, so I don't think I could read that to you, but uh, <laughs> single space. <laughs> but um, it was a collection of Soren Kierkegaard's philosophy and his quotations. And I kind of pearling it together. It's a bunch of pearls all over, and I kind of put it together, and I titled it To Live. Well, there are several titles, but one of them is To Live. And let me read that to you. I, I hope Soren Kierkegaard will minister to you. To live, 
Who is a poet? He's an unhappy man who conceals profound anguish in his heart, yet whose lips are so formed that he sighs and cries pass over them, and they sound like beautiful music. Love does not alter the beloved, he says. It alters you. Love is all. It gives all, and it takes all. So don't forget to love yourself. Don't become indifferent. Don't become stranger. At the bottom of enmity between strangers lies indifference. Be free. Be that self which one truly is. You will lose control. Do not fear anxiety. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. During the first period of man's life, the greatest danger is not to take risk, not to be anxious, not to be free. Jump. Have faith in God. If I am capable of grasping God objectively, I do not believe. But precisely because I cannot do this, I must believe. I must jump. Faith is a snare. You cannot have it without being caught. You cannot have faith in such a way that you catch it, but only in such a way that it catches you. Pray like you are in love. Just as in earthly life, lovers long for a moment when they are able to breathe forth their love for each other, to let their souls blend in, soft whisper, so long for the moment. When in prayer you can, as it were, breathe forth your love to God. Prayer does not change God, but it changes you who pray. It is God who will fashion you. God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners like you and me. So go on. Keep on to live. Wow. After such a wonderful poem, there's no response. <laughs> Say something, guys. <laughs> really. Honestly, don't you struggle sometimes? You know, 1986, I got so thoroughly discouraged with all these professors teaching theology that doesn't really speak to me. There wasn't a single class that I could actually use for my ministry. It was all about some dead white guys in the Europe <laughs> who went through a theological debate. I'm like, what does that got to do with me? And ministering to Korean Americans in Los Angeles. And so I cried out to my professors, can you teach me yellow theology? He said, what is yellow theology? I said, I don't want to learn about Trinity according to Karl Barth. I don't believe that it's both, it's either or. Not, not everything's mutually exclusive. I want to embrace both reality of rationalism and irrationalism. Can, is there a theology that embraced that? They said, absolutely not. We're the basically disciples of Plato. And the last 2,000 years of Western-centric theology has been the, the byproduct of Platonic ideas of what is truth. And, I, and, and so when Dr. Ma, one of my heroes, Last month, we were doing a conference together in L.A. We are actually meeting the Assembly of God, E.M. pastors in L.A. 
And I gave him one of my books that I was just published in. And he said, oh, well, if you give me a book, then I need to give you a book. So we kind of give book to each other. And he wrote something on this incredible, this is kind of a monumental thing, you know. Because I've been crying out yellow theology for since 1986 at Fuller. Finally, now they're addressing Asian Christian theology. Wow. I said, when I got it, I'm like, this is what I meant, 1986. Right? And then I, I start reading. And Dr. Ma actually has a huge part here. And he writes this. He says, in deep cognition of the spirit world in Asia has been almost ignored by cerebral Western evangelical Christianity as a superstition or simply hedonistic. Wow. This, this dissonance, scholarly, scholars argue, has resulted in so-called split-level Christianity, where many Christians seek ultimate spiritual answers to sin and eternal life from Christianity while seeking answers to immediate daily matters such as sickness, misfortune, childbearing, and success in business from the traditional religion. We have dichotomized our faith so much that unless it's rational, it's not believable, then I don't believe. You know, the most popular evangelical writers in America today, selling millions of books, talks about the reasonableness of our faith. You know, I get really mad when I find book titles like that because I said just, I poo-poo that. <laughs> because I am not disciple of Descartes. Right? Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And he'd start defying the reality in thinking. And all the soon, all, pretty soon, all the pastors talking nonsense about fate being reasonable. How can a virgin have a child? How can you reasonably explain that? Why can't you just embrace, you just must believe. Take jump. Believe it's okay. It's okay to be rational. Our faith life, our Christian life, goes way beyond. You know, so as I'm struggling with these things, the word, Beshiba, came. So I was sitting in my desk this morning. Beshiba, what a name. Beth, she, Ba. 목욕하는 여자를 봐라. <laughs> Beth, she, ba. Look, the bathing woman. <laughs> that was her name. And David did. David, the strong soldier whose right arm strong enough to doing a slingshot. <sighs> a giant, the strong man, the king, absolute authority, who has many wives already and concubines. It was not about sexual gratification. He could have done that. But it was that he saw midday, Beth, she, <laughs> and he said, I want her. Bring her over. 
and in his own private chamber rapes the woman. You know, if you really think about it, what a horrible crime. And what did she do wrong to deserve that? What did she do? No, really. I mean, if every time you take bath, you have a chance of being raped, how would anybody take bath? She has not done anything wrong. I mean, you read some commentaries that accusing her of, why did she take public bath in public? No, it was her room, her house, her house. Don't be stupid. I was in Israel, actually, walked through the, the, the city of David. I'm like, wow, that's where he saw. That's why she took bath. It was her private quarter. What did she do wrong to deserve that? How can she refuse? Do you think she said, oh, King David, come on, let's bring it on. My husband's not home because let's do this. It wasn't her. She resisted. She cried. She pleaded for mercy. Please, King, I have a husband. He's serving you right now in the war field, right now at the battlefield. Sir, please have mercy. Don't do this to me. And our hero of faith, the one, the God said, he is the apple of my eye. I love David with all of my heart, God says. This man who writes a song in the field among the wolves and the wild animals with the little harp said, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This king, chased by Saul so many years, refused to bend on his faith and love for God and do anything stupid. This king. And Bathsheba becomes a victim. This morning I said in the table, I said, Lord, would you reveal to me what Bathsheba went through in the dark room, left alone in the palace Weeping, crying, wondering, what have I done wrong, God? How do I deserve this? From the one you love the most. Wow. In my life, in my travel, I, I met a lot of people. Well, I was in Siberia last week, spent one week ministering to pastors and mid-church planters in Siberia since 2003. We're part of the 27 church plant in Siberia, and I go there twice a year, and I meet them, and now this beautiful young couple, now they're aged and getting old together. So every time we meet together, we just hug, and we cry, and, and we rejoice. And, and there's a sister who was a single mom and had a, a little teenage girl at a planter church in Siberia. Two years, three years. Usually, church planting in Siberia fails after second year when money dry out. No more support. They shut down. They just cannot survive. It goes to minus 33. Nothing to eat. The village of 2,000, sometimes 600 people. And, and she was in one of those villages. But beautiful gal. With single mom with the girl. She did for three, four, five, six, seven years, and we rejoice. And every time she makes a report, 
couple years back, we met at Siberia, Angarsk, and she says, Pastor O, tears going down through the interpreter. She said, Pastor O, I don't think I could continue because I'm in such fear. I said, what happened? Well, the fear is not about me, but when I was doing home visitation, some drug addict, alcoholic, crazy man broke into my house and tried to rape my daughter. I was a teenager at the time. And I cannot expose my child to that kind of danger anymore. I think I need to move back to Moscow. And, you know, people say that, oh, we go there to teach these people in the mission field. Oh, shut up. You don't have any idea. They always humble me. Every people I meet, like, why am I teaching you? You should teach me about sacrificing for the Lord and, and doing things, obeying God because of, without thinking any of the consequence. And, and so I remember I just hugged her and, and we just wept together. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. As a father who has two daughters myself, I cannot believe you went through that. Of course you need to quit. Of course you need to go to Moscow. Bring her back. Bring her to safety. I'll pay for it. Let me know how much the relocation fee Let me help you with that. We had a good weeping together. And after we wept and wept, she dried her eyes and says, Pastor O, thank you so much for weeping with me. While we're weeping together, Lord spoke to me, you need to stay. So she did. So she did. And she stayed there now for 15 years. And we, I just met her last week. And of course we hug. And we cried together again. And she said, oh, precious pastor. Oh, precious pastor. Thank you for coming again. You know, I always ask, what, why do we go on living? You know, some of you have such a difficult past, such a hard life, and, and things that happen to you, it doesn't make any sense, and you wonder, why did I go through that? What did I deserve that? Even last night, I... Yesterday, you know, I did eight-hour lecture at some church from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's kind of crazy, marathon lecture. Eight-hour lecture, and after everything was done, I prayed for everybody, and I prayed for a sister, and, and, and she just poured out her life. Oh, what kind of life she had and the difficulties, and I'm like, I'm so sorry you went through that. My God. How do you have faith in God with that kind of hard life that you had? But she does. She has faith. And now she wants to be a missionary. She wants to share the good news of the gospel. Wow. So this morning I meditate on Bathsheba. I said, Lord, Reveal to me, what did she go through? What was Bathsheba thinking? And how did you adjust her life to have faith in you continuously? You know, the word Bathsheba comes out 10 times in the Old Testament. 
and 11 times as a reference. 10 times, and when you read them, it's amazing. The, the time that Bathsheba, for the last time, she's meeting King David. So the word, first time Bathsheba's mentioned is in 2 Samuel 11 when she is being raped by him, by King David. The last time that she's meeting King David, many years have passed. And listen, this is what is written. It said, Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth. She actually prostrated herself before King David, facing her face on, on, on earth, and did reverence to the king and said, Let my Lord King David live forever. <laughs> my God. Are you kidding me? If I was Bathsheba in the secret moment, I'll kill him. I want justice. You kill my husband. And as a consequence, our first child dies. You kill my husband, you kill your son, kill my son, our son. Time between of that tragedy to this glorious moment of Bathsheba honoring her husband in the context of honoring God. I'm finding, wow, that's what faith is. You keep living each day, not in the context of your understanding of justice, not understanding context of your happiness, your success, because we have categorized our faith so much that unless you are successful, your faith means nothing. Wow, when did we become so capitalistic? You know, I was visiting a lot of places. I go a lot of places. I visited 51 cities last year, 21 countries, and did a lot of meetings all over the world. And, and this large church in Korea, and, you know, I preached away and had a good time. And, and this pastor said, oh, you know, such and so and so. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he used to be a big businessman and he was an elder at a church. I said, oh, fantastic. Well, but he uh, resigned from eldership. I said, why? Because his company went bankrupt. I said, what? Time out. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Muksanim, pastor. Now, this is pastor in Korea. I said, what does elder business bankrupting have to do with him resigning from, well, you know, if, well, he can no, no longer make offering to the church. So we had to let him go. I thought, what the hell? Well, that's, that came out of my mouth in my mind, you know. But it was Korean context with Korean pastor. So I said, Moksanim, that's not right. What does faith got to do with it? I mean, you mean, you mean unless you're successful, you cannot have a leadership in this church? Show that, show that to me in the Bible. Show that to me in the Bible. Well, another book that I'm reading. <laughs> David Bosch is like the Bible of the missiological study. I mean, this is a rock star of mission study. This is James Dean of Mission Study, because he died young. After writing this book, 92, he died in a car accident. He immortalized his book. 
But he writes, some years ago, the Catholic Journal, okay, no, let's, not, let's not read that. Luke, <laughs> you know, because I'm trying to keep, you know, I don't want to, you know what I mean? It's like, let's, let's keep it here. I know some will be like, <laughs> some of you like, after this service, during the lunch, like, what did he mean by that, you know? So, let's keep it here, All right? Luke, for instance, uses salvation language in respect of very wide spectrum of human circumstances. The termination of poverty, discrimination, illness, demon possession, sin, and so forth. As Schaefer puts it, in respect of economic, social, political, physical, physiological, and spiritual suffering. Moreover, for Luke, salvation is, above all, something that realizes itself in this life today. For Luke, salvation is present salvation, not future. Okay? Wow. You know, every time I read books like this, I hold it and I pray to God, God, this is what I mean when I write. <laughs> Can I write like that? <laughs> so clear. There are four Gospels in the Bible so that each Gospel can talk about certain aspect of salvation. And yet, we are so future salvation driven that it's all about, well, let's save souls and let's count heads. How many people got saved and going to heaven bound? Fantastic. We need that. Of course, that's what we do, mission. At the same time, today has to be saved. Our illness, our social justice, all the injustice, all these things to be saved. And this part of the salvation package is both and. Amen? Amen. We need to embrace that. Bathsheba encountered this God. That does not make any sense. Why would you kill my husband, God? Would I be raped and see my son die and to live with this murderer as my husband? So let's go back to the first question. If you have six months to live, what would you do? Why, why, why is that six months? Well, if you have six years to live, what would you do? Oh, well, what if you have six decades to live? What would you do? Why what you do be different because the one unit changed month to year to decades? Because somehow you're putting value to those six months versus six decades and you're going to do things different. And you have not really know who you are. Because you would do the exact same if you know who you are, met who God is, and He's your Lord, your Savior. Whether you live six months, six years, or six decades, you will say, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Because He's my Lord. He's my Master. Amen? That's the gospel. Gospel saves today. Gospel saves your future. Gospel saves society. Gospel saves country. Gospel saves individual. God saves you and I. Gospel save us. Gospel save our family. And we want to enter into the salvation stage where I rejoice today. And I rejoice with Bathsheba. I wept for her this morning. I said, I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry. You have to suffer through that. It was not your fault. Nothing caused that. Don't try to understand. Don't try to reasonably, reasonably explain your suffering. You cannot. It simply happened. Now live. Live it. Encounter God. And said, God, give me strength to live today. Tomorrow never comes. So let me live today. And I would like to not deny you. I would like to recognize you. I would like to recognize that you're good. Eventually, she says, you are my king. The good king let you live forever. For the God, the true king. The Sheba encountered king of kings and lord of lords. And I said, thank you. Thank you. I, I want to challenge you. Life will happen to you, whether you like it or not. Don't struggle from like, why is it happening to me? Don't be bogged down by your past and ruin your future or today. Let God be real today. Amen? Speak to you today. Faithful to Him today. Love Him today. And said, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you for giving me life today. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let us pray. God, I am so awed by your presence. And, and Lord, I... Mm, some of you really went through hard stuff. Or maybe going through that right now. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And you went through that. And it's so painful. You just try to hide it or keep it away and try to sur suppress it so that you won't think about it. But it's there. And you don't know what to do with it. And it emerges and it it sabotages your happiness today and, and makes you melancholy and makes you depressed and, and you really cannot share and you say, God, why, that, why did that happen to me? Would you put your hand to your heart right now? Oh God, Will the blood of Jesus just flow, flow, flow through their hearts? Cleanse it, cleanse it, cleanse it. The pain, the suffering, the anger, frustration, and in the, the rage of the act of injustice was done unto me. God, rightfully so, Lord, they, they're angry. But Holy Spirit, would you come? Take away those anger. Take away those frustration. Take away those evil intent because of the, the sin that was committed against them. And, and we responded in anger and evil. And Lord, we repent of that. Holy Spirit, come and heal us. Take away those frustration. and Take away those things that, that nobody knows that I harbor anger toward you. And and you, I've told you so many times, it's not fair. It's not fair. I have not done anything wrong. And yet I get victimized over and over again. Even just remembering. It was my fault, Lord. So Holy Spirit, come and heal this heart, Lord God. It's broken. 
make it brand new. Let the blood of Jesus come and heal, Lord, touch. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you put that hand to your head right now? Lord, would you renew our mind? Cleanse it, Lord God. God, I pray that the garbage and junk and all the stuff that we put in our head, God, I pray that you cleanse it with the blood of Christ. Whatever that is pure, good, kindness, gentleness, meekness, gentleness, Lord God, let it go and self-control. Let the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, God, manifest and invade our mind, Lord God. They will be renewed, brand new. Let our heart and our mind be one, Lord, as we pump the blood of Christ and think of, meditate on word day and night, Lord God. Let it flow, let it flow. There's someone like Bathsheba who has been violated, Lord. And she's wondering, why? Why did that happen to me? God, would you heal her? Would you touch her in profound ways, Lord God? That the gift that you give today will be lived fully. That my today will be saved, Lord. My tomorrow will be saved, Lord God. And I walk as a servant, Lord God, of you. And said, Lord, whatever you will, I will, Lord. Help me, O oh God, to live for you, whether it's six months or six years or six decades. Time do not matter, Lord, because you don't change and I will not change, Father. Would you put those hands to the sky and say, Lord, I dedicate myself to you now. God, touch me. This week, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to be found by you, your goodness and your mercy. And Father, that, that I could go beyond and live beyond the hurt and pain of the yesterday and yesteryear and yester decade. That I will look forward to the days that is saved, Lord, by in your grace. To say that I embrace both and I am rejoicing, thankful. So Father, I thank you and praise you for today. These precious children of yours, Lord God, want to live fully for your kingdom and enjoy this life and, and have freedom in you, Lord God. Let them be free, let them be free, let them be free. Let them enjoy their lives in you, Lord God, and say, God, I thank you. I praise you, I give you glory. We give you glory and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give God a big hand, shall we?